As James said, there's two Bible readings this morning. The first one's from John, chapter 4, verses 7 to 29. So please follow along with me in your own Bible's devices or it'll be up on screen behind me. John, chapter 4, 7 to 29. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? A Samaritan woman, she asked him. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go, call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town and told the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? The second Bible reading comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 13. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. For by his grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith in each one. 
Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it in according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. In exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy, detest evil, cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honour. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Yeah, for today. Hopefully you can see, hear me there. Great. Uh, my name's Isaac. Uh, if we haven't met yet, I would love to say hello after the service. And uh, now we all want to belong with somebody, right? Uh, can you think of a hobby that you pretended that you liked just to be with your friends, just to belong with somebody? I can think of a few. I can think of uh, basketball that I got into for quite a while there. I didn't really care too much for basketball, but my mates are playing it, so that's what I suddenly grew to love or even board games. Don't really care too much for a board game, but look, if everyone's doing it, I'll gladly go along. See, we all want to belong. We want to feel that we have people who are ours, where we are, can be at home, we can be comfortable. And that's what we're thinking about today. We're thinking about how this place, this church, is a place that every person can truly belong. And this is really the main idea that we're going through for today. It should come up on the screen there. Belonging to Christ means that we'll belong with each other in this community of the church, this community of love and the word. So our first point for today, God creates our belonging to and our communion with and our membership with Jesus. It should come up on the next slide there. So there's these three buzzwords that you can see there. God creates our belonging to Jesus, our communion with him, and our membership with him. See, God, he initiates this kind of change in us. We can't just come up with it ourselves. It's God who makes somebody a member of Christ or brings them into relationship with himself. It's this spiritual reality which needs to happen first before we even start thinking about name tags or welcome lunches or what we're doing here at church. So today we're kind of starting up in the sky, up in these theological realities, before we ground this in some of the practical stuff of the life in the church. And a lot of these ideas came from this little book here, uh, Tony Payne, he was a lecturer of mine, and he's really helpfully synthesised some of these ideas. Uh, I keep suggesting to you guys books that are less than about 100 pages long, which says a bit about my reading habits. Uh, but I do want to encourage you to read this book. It really helps you to see how welcoming uh, comes from God's Word in the Bible, uh, and he focuses on God's Word rather than just on the practical pragmatics. So definitely go ahead and read that book. 
Now, this idea that God creates our belonging to Christ can be seen in the passage that we read in Romans, but we'll also look in a few other passages elsewhere today. And they're the three buzzwords that we're focusing on, belonging, community, and membership. And the first thing we need to realize is that these spiritual realities, they can't be manufactured by us. We might have the name tags ready to go. We might have the smiles on to welcome people. We might have awesome social events full of happiness and joy. And they're important. But they aren't belonging or community or membership in a scriptural sense. You can have all those things in some other organisation. That's not exactly what we're talking about today. See, God is the one creating true belonging, true membership and true community here in the church. So to kick off with belonging, 1 Corinthians 6, it says, You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Jesus, he paid the price of death for us, and we belong to him. He initiates this identity change in us. We're united with Jesus and no longer belong to ourselves, but to him. And belonging, that word, it simply means that you fit, that you have a certain place that is yours. A Christian, they fit with Jesus. And other passages will go on to say that this reality is even true in heaven. We fit with Jesus even in heaven now, as you see in Ephesians. But what we really want to think about today in terms of belonging is that by Jesus' death, we've been redeemed from our old way, enslaved to sin, to freedom, to belong with Jesus, to be his, and to be treasured by Jesus And as those who belong to Jesus, we also commune with him. We have this relationship with him and a shared purpose. And that's what communion or the Lord's Supper is all about. Today we even get a chance to celebrate that together. As we drink the wine and eat the bread, God's word says that we share in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10, you can see there that we're sharing in the body of Christ. So as we take communion today, it's a symbol of our communion with him. And that through Jesus' death, we're united with him. We belong with him and we can come into relationship with Jesus. But beyond that, we see that we're also members of his body. Romans 12, it says, We who are many are one body in Christ. We're members of the body of Christ. See, Christian membership is about being members of Jesus' body. Many people, they might be a a member of a local church, but they're actually not yet members of Jesus. They don't yet follow Jesus. And it all depends on God's grace. So simply that we are here in this building may not necessarily mean that we're part of that body. Now, member, literally that just means limbs. So we're like the limbs of God's body. And it's Jesus who unites every one of us to him like that. And if this is true, it means that no number of church social events can bring about true membership. Our events, our smiley faces, our name tags, none of that can create this. 
So, okay, we've established that God works in people to unite them with Jesus so that they can belong to him. But does that mean that Christianity, it's all about just this individual relationship that, you know, it doesn't really matter if we show up here or not? Can, you know, you can take it or leave it in terms of church. And a lot of people who might call themselves Christians or maybe ex-evangelicals or people who used to come along to church gladly say that they don't need to come to church, don't need to come to a structured religion. Uh, Joy Ola Dokun's songs, I've never, I don't know how to say her last name, Uh, she has this song called Jordan and she was somebody who used to be in a church and she represents this kind of thinking, it's this heart-wrenching song, Jordan, where she speaks about her previous experience in a Christian church and how she's now decided to go it alone, to simply uh, go it in, in terms of her relationship rather than in church. Here's some of the lyrics from that song. Uh, they told me he's a good Lord as they tied the shackles to my feet. They drowned me in the Jordan and they walked away from me. Now we're building our own promised land on this new ground we stand. God bless the work of our hands. It's heart-wrenching, I think, this song. Because God's word is clear that Christians shouldn't go it alone. God won't bless that kind of endeavour. It makes actually no sense, precisely because of point two. Jesus keeps his belongings in the church. Now, if we really do belong to Jesus, then he says where we belong. And Jesus has told us that we belong in this gathering, in the local church. See, God's word tells us that Christians belong with each other in community. He keeps his belongings in his suitcase in in the church of Christ. Hebrews 10, we're instructed, Let us consider one another, not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing. See, we belong here. We're instructed to keep meeting here in a local church. And all of your belongings, they have a place they go, right? Like your keys, they belong in your pockets, uh, not as earrings. You could have a go if you'd like. Uh, your shoes, they, they belong on your feet, not on your hands. Uh, your dog, it belongs on your lap, not on your roof. Like things just have a place that they go. And God, as our creator, he says that our place is in the local gathering. But belonging, it's more than just this idea that we can kind of agree with in our minds. It's more than just an event or a cause. Belonging also is just this sense within us, right? This feeling that this is really our place. You might have already agreed with me 100% up until now, but belonging is that sense that these are my people and this is where I belong. And this can be hard for a lot of us to truly feel especially a lot of people who might be new, or maybe you feel a sense that you're just so different to others here. I often have conversations with people like that, that they don't quite feel like their heart is in this church or that they truly belong. And if you've had experiences that have led you to this, uh, my heart goes out to you. No doubt there is so much our church can learn in this space, to grow in this space. And yet I want to preach a word of encouragement to you, that you do truly belong in this place. No matter how unusual we think we might be or how different we might be, we've been welcomed by God here. 
No matter how cold it is today, we've been welcomed by God here. We profoundly belong here in the gathering, no matter who we are or what we've done. But belonging, it also means there's an obligation to one another, right? If we belong in this church family, then my hope is that we'd be active members in a family. Now, family is this broad term, right? You can meet in large groups or small groups as a family. And some people here, they might feel like your son or your daughter. Others might feel like cousins or nieces or nephews or long-distance relatives. And some people might just feel like the crazy uncle. And that's okay. Family is diverse. It's multifaceted. But if we belong here as a church family, as God's Word says that we do, well, actually, family meet, families meet in these kind of large um, gatherings like this, but also in small gatherings as well. So I'd love to encourage you to think about joining one of our small groups or even to start just meeting with another Christian or two to pray, to read God's Word, hear from our church. And I was so encouraged as we looked through some of the, our recent survey details from the NCLS survey that actually 78% of our church are actually already in a weekly growth group. And that shows that people get that family is important and that families meet in these small groups and these large groups as well. Now we've seen how God says that his people belong in the local church. But not only that, as we commune with Jesus, we also share this community with each other as well. See, we belong in church as a community focused on Christ. Community, they're always bound together by a shared purpose or something that they have in common. It might be that they're the chess club or the mountaineering club. And for us here, it is our affection, our love for Jesus, which binds us. Hebrews 12 says that we fix our eyes on him. That's who our community is focused on. And that's what brings us together. Now, whatever else we might actually share, whether that's race or hobbies or interests, that's not actually what makes us a community. It's, it's our link, our united nature with Jesus, which brings us together. And I wonder if you've joined this group knowing that that's what church is really about, that Jesus is at the centre. Now, often people, they'll come and they'll, they'll chat to me and they'll say, there's just no community here in our church. And I understand that and I think that at times we need to grow uh, in our, the way that we socialise and have these events together. But I also want to say that there is community here. God has created it when he sent his son to die for us. We may at times feel disconnected, but might we recognise that God, he has done this at the cross to bring us together, to worship Jesus. There is true and spiritual community here. And we're not just a community, but we're also members of each other. We belong in church as diverse members of the body. Now, members, that word just means limbs. So we're like limbs of the one body. And Romans 12, the passage that Megan read out for us, it says, Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. 
According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. Each person is necessary, is vital in the church. Even if we judge them by our own standards, not to be necessary here. And as we think about this idea that we're members of each other, I thought it might be helpful to keep thinking about how our church might reflect our area that we live in more, in terms of cultural diversity. A few weeks ago, Mike shared how our area has the highest um, proportion of Tamil speakers in our nation. Isn't that incredible? And today, as uh, I think it was Andrew mentioned in his prayers, it is India, Indian Christian Day. Uh, and my mate from college, her name's Jerry, she is, has an Indian uh, cultural background. And she's written this article that, that will come up on the screen there in a moment. Uh, she's part of a Sydney church uh, and she's written an article for this Indian Christian Day from her point of view. She came to faith around our area in Maryland. So I'd encourage you to read this article today, Why Jones is My Indian Christian Family Name. She talks about what it might look like for church to see many South Asians belong in our churches. And here's a prayer at the end of her article, which I encourage us all to echo. She says, Let us plead for God's help to see many Indian Christians in the immense and diverse gathering around the throne. By his grace, may the book of life bear countless names like Kumar, Subramanian, Patel, Upper Daraj, Singh, Kendukuri, Chetiar, and Jones. Now, I didn't know how to, to pronounce a lot of those words, right? Being this diverse uh, church family means sometimes we won't always feel all that comfortable or natural, and that's okay, that's great in this diverse church family. Uh, it reminds me of when I like, first moved to Tungabi. I mentioned to one of my uh, Christian brothers with a Sri Lankan background that I'd recently been to the Udaya uh, market in Wentworthville, and he just chuckled. And he said, mate, it's, it's Udaya. Or he like, pronounced it totally different. I thought, oh, I still don't quite ha- know how to pronounce that. And that's okay in this diverse church family to sometimes feel uncomfortable, sometimes not feel like this is all that natural. Or another member of our church from an Indian background, uh, he questioned a bit more seriously and he said, if many South Asians suddenly came through our doors, would we really be ready for them? Would we truly welcome them in as family? Now I've had the joy of being part of a church that's gone through a cultural change over time. And it was wonderful to see. In Newcastle, uh, we went from a predominantly white church to about a third of the church had grown up elsewhere out of Australia, mainly from Asia. We had investigating Christianity groups who had Korean leaders, Chinese leaders and Japanese leaders. We had Bibles in countless different uh, languages. And our regular touch footy events, they started to become a bit more diverse and a bit more fun, to be honest. We had events where our, our white community in our church, they had no clue what was going on. You know, they were being taught how to have a hot pot or a steamboat and what that actually meant and how to cook food in that way. And it was incredible. I have so many precious memories of seeing that church become more and more diverse over time. 
the cultural fabric of the church was changing in time, but the spiritual focus of the church never changed. It was always focused on Jesus. In fact, many of us praised God, seeing how his gospel had the power to change people from all tribes, all nations and languages. Now today we spend a lot of time up in the sky thinking about what God has done, uniting us to himself and to each other. But surely we have something to do as well, right? And we do. God is pleased to use us to welcome people into this church. Isn't that cool? And we're going to see what that looks like and how we might welcome others, particularly by looking at Jesus, how he welcomed this woman at the well. Our last point for today, we create environments for God to work as we display the word and love. Notice how I'm saying we create environments for this change to take place. As we looked at already, we can't manufacture this change in others, but we can create context for it to happen. Like our regular structures, our welcome lunches, or these times that we meet like this. It's not as if our structures somehow create this unity between them and Jesus. That's all God's work. But they are places where God's Spirit can work. Now, God does this work through us by His gospel, as the Word of God dwells richly amongst us, as we share our stories of Jesus, which we love, as we teach one another, as we pray for one another with assurance, as we hear of God's work in each other. And you can see this in Romans 12, verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our minds are renewed by the gospel of Jesus. The word is so precious here in this church. And we're all part of welcoming others like this with the word, the gospel. We can all help the word of God dwell richly. We can all pray with one another and speak of God's word. Now someone in our church uh, who I recently spoke with gave me great encouragement in this way. Uh, They decided to make the most of the time after the service. Uh, They'd been about three or four weeks into this uh, decision that they'd made. They wanted to speak to people more about the Bible or the sermon or what was talked about. Um, They'd realised that they'd kind of often just go to hobbies or the weekend. And they were overjoyed at the depth of relationship which that brought, just from a few weeks of being more intentional in that way. They found that they loved getting out of their comfort zone and, and hearing how somebody was connected with Jesus and loving Jesus. So today, I'd encourage you to, to, to try that. Try two for ten. Try talking to two people for ten minutes after the service about God's Word, about Jesus. And it might even be two people that you're not really that familiar with, who are kind of like strangers to you or you haven't really chatted that much with them. And what I find is that Jesus often naturally comes up in our conversations because he is what we're connected by, not by these other hobbies or by these other interests. Um, I also heard another encouraging story of someone in our church. It was their first week at church. And one of the staff members, they said that they saw this person opening God's word with a new person on their first week, chatting with them about Jesus. And it was clearly God's work in that person. We didn't create that community, right? The Spirit of God was at work in them, 
And they were having the word of God dwell richly amongst us. And they were set on loving that person, set before them. See, alongside the word, we need to love. In this Romans passage, love, it comes up over and over again. It's how we're to live as this diverse church family. From verse 9 to 13, it says, Let love be without hypocrisy. To test evil, cling to what is good, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. And then later in the passage, it says, Pursue hospitality. And the word hospitality actually means to love the outsider. I wonder if you knew that. Uh, it was a word that really stuck in my brain as I learnt the Greek for it. It should come up on the screen there. Uh, the Greek word is philozenos. You might be able to figure it out if you've heard some of those words before. Philo means love. Xenos, kind of like xenophobia, means stranger. So hospitality actually is the love of the outsider or the immigrant. It's not about food necessarily. It might involve that from time to time. But hospitality is about loving the outsider, and we're called to do that in God's Word. So as we consider showing hospitality, let's shift from these conceptual ideas and see how Jesus actually put it into place. We're going to look at the John 4 passage. And if we properly understand what's happening in that passage, as he interacts with this woman, about what the culture is, and the history of that passage, I think we'll have a better understanding of how extravagant Jesus' love is and we'll have a better um, understanding of how we can follow him in how he welcomes. Well, John 4, 9, it says, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink for me, a Samaritan woman? She asked. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And you can learn all about this in the Old Testament, about why Samaritans wouldn't associate with Jews. Now basically, Samaria was this region that originally had the tribes of Israel living there. Ephraim and Manasseh, particularly, I don't know if you can see there, you can see Samaria, Sychar, is basically where we're talking about with the woman at the well. But over time, these foreigners came into this area and they took over the land. They brought in idolatry, and different religions. And so Jews became, over time, to hate the Sumerians. So much so that if they were going from Jerusalem down the bottom there, up into Capernaum, they would rather go into Perea and go the long way rather than even go through Samaria. But this woman, she is a Samaritan. But not just that, she's also a woman. John 4.27, just then... His disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. It doesn't really make sense to us, does it really? But in terms of Jewish culture, their canons, they actually taught that it's not decent for a man to have a long conversation with a woman. Uh, here's one of the uh, rules that I found from their Jewish culture. It says, Let him not talk with a woman in the street, though she is his wife or his sister or his daughter. It's strict, right? <laughs> you couldn't even... Uh, talk to your daughter for a long time in the street. So culturally, Jesus even chatting to this woman one-on-one -on -one at the well is a big deal. It is extravagant, a radical kind of love in the face of the cultural norm. But more than that, she's not just a Samaritan woman, but she's a woman who's been rejected by her own people. She's had multiple marriages, and now she's with a man that's not her husband. And this all seems to be why she's coming to the well at midday. 
So you'd only come to the well in the hottest part of the day if you were rejected by your people. That's not when you'd choose to go, right? And it's fascinating to see this encounter unfold. Jesus has every reason not to associate with this Jewish, uh, this Samaritan woman who's been rejected. And a man meeting a woman at a well, well, it's a common setup in Scripture for somebody finding their wife. I wonder if you knew that. I found this out at college. You can think of Moses and Jacob. They both met their wives at the well. And in this narrative, well, we've just been hearing about the groom. John the Baptist, he's been saying in John 3, 28, we hear how John says, I'm not the groom, Jesus, he is the groom. Then suddenly we hear about this Samaritan woman. So actually she forms in this narrative to be the wife of Jesus, the, the beloved one of Jesus. Obviously they're not actually married. But that's incredible, isn't it? That grace that Jesus has to engage with her knowing that she would be united to him and ultimately form the bride of Christ, just like we do ourselves. Jesus engages with this woman with love and with the word, with the gospel, even though she is an outsider. And the woman is stunned. She goes off, she tells her own people, and all of these Samaritans come to trust in Jesus. From that town, they believed in him because of the woman's testimony, we read later. But unlike Jesus, our, our love is often dull. We need grace from him. But we also can love like Jesus did. We can follow his example of looking to the outsider. We have his spirit in us. So in a f- small way, I encourage you to do that even this week. Particularly, I'd love you to think about that time after the service. That's usually the time that a new person or an outsider is deciding if they will stick around in this gathering. Does anyone actually talk to them? What do they talk to them about? Is it, is it about hobbies and weekends or do they talk to them about Jesus? Let's finish there. Let's pray for God's help in all of this. Our dear Father, we thank you so much that you have welcomed us into your church, that by your grace we can be called your family. We thank you for the belonging that we have with Christ. Lord, we pray that we might welcome others to our church. Give us great grace and an eye for the outsider. Help us to love them and to hold out the word of God as we welcome them in. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.